with all the things that have been happening recently, <clears throat> um, I was reading through this uh, Mike Wingfield newsletter from this past month. Right? It was for this month. So evidently, this came out right before the attacks happened in Israel. And he goes into very good detail talking about how, you know, this, since the attack hadn't happened, he uh, was going through all the biblical prophecy about how, what things are going to happen before the tribulation. And, you know, Israel is, they have, they have so many enemies around them and, but there's a few, there, was, there was a couple countries that had formed a peace treaty with them. Egypt, a long time ago, back when I was a kid. And then, uh, I believe it was uh, Jordan uh, in the 90s. But then when uh, a president recently, I don't even know if I should mention his name, but in 2020, what was called the Abraham Accords, and four nations... Uh, had a treaty with Israel. So now it was up to six countries over in that area that nobody thought would ever have a peace treaty with Israel, and it happened. And so if you remember the book of Daniel, it is prophesied that there will be ten kingdoms. So does that mean that another four and then those ten will have made peace with Israel, and then the tribulation can start. Well, Saudi Arabia was next up. Everything was looking really good. Now, why does Saudi Arabia so interested in peace with Israel? Why would they want that? Well, Saudi Arabia knows that Israel is actually the strongest military power in the Middle East. Now, you look at the map, and you see how tiny Israel is compared to all those other countries around them. And, and you look at it and go, how could they be the most powerful? Well, they're God's chosen people. They are brilliant, even though they do some really dumb things. You know what? I know, there are some people that I have known in my life that were, you could almost call them a genius. I mean, they were so smart, but yet they did some really dumb things. That would blow my mind. Uh, you know, things that you would think that they would be smart enough to not get into that would destroy their bodies, things like that. I have met people with such ability and totally waste, wasted it. Well, Israel leads the world in so many different things. They are very advanced in everything that they do. The problem is there's a lot of liberal people in Israel that are willing to cave and to compromise and then there are the religious people who are very conservative that uh, then they're in opposition with each other. And when you're divided, you're going to have problems. 
So, this attack, Saudi Arabia is afraid of Iran because Iran is the very next country to be able to have nuclear weapons. They just recently denied access for uh, their, uh, what do you call it, inspection. See, for them to be able to use nuclear power for just energy was granted to them as long as they allowed uh, an international organization to come in and monitor them to make sure they weren't going to use it for weapons. Well, they just recently said, nope, we don't want you to come inspect us. Okay, Saudi Arabia knows that if Iran gets nuclear weapons, its, its goal is to, well, it'll first wipe out Israel. That's what it wants to do. That's their plan to wipe it off the face of the earth. But they would they want to destroy everything in the world because that will bring, the, their belief is that their so-called Messiah, their Islamic Messiah, will, will be able to come back to earth when they do that. They're messed up. They're really messed up. So when Iran sees Israel and Saudi Arabia starting to come into agreement, something's got to happen to stop it. That's probably what happened just recently. Because Iran is behind the people who are going in and attacking Israel. Now, something happened before Israel was attacked that probably most of you just missed. It probably didn't register to you, but there was a story about something that happened in Armenia. There was uh, Muslims who had gone into Armenia and done some bad things. Well, there's nothing new about that. This book keeps popping back up. What every American needs to know about the Quran. I've read this whole thing. It is not a fun read. But it's very historical. And this, this book will tell you throughout history what the Muslim people have done to Christians, to Hindus, to uh, the nation of the Hebrews, the, Jude the Judaism, every other religion of the world, what the Muslims have done to them. And when you see what happened in Israel, it was their, their philosophy is the same. It's never changed. What they go in and you want to shock the world with what you do. You want to do things that will cause people to be just mind-blown that you could do something like that. That you would take a little baby out of the crib and lay it up on a table in front of the parents and chop it in two. That, so that the parents will watch the very thing they love the most die that way. And just cause mental torment for the parents. They, they've always done that. They've always done it. And they target Christians, number one. Hate Christianity. So they go in, any place they've ever gone in to conquer, they go in and they want the most bloodshed as they can. The, the, they want to have a bigger pile of heads. They want to cause so much destruction that everybody sees it and are astonished by it. 
And then they stop, and they always take hostages. Always. They take them for slaves. So when they go into a place, uh, if, if you happen to be a young, attractive woman, you probably won't die. But you'll wish you did. Nothing new. And it's going to keep happening. Now we've been uh, in Hebrews talking about Abraham. So I'm going to read something to you, going right along with what we did last week. And we're going to talk about Abraham, and he's that, he's that one that we're on right now in Hebrews 11. So remember, you need to know your Bibles. Open up your Bibles and read them. Read. You should have read all the way through Daniel and understand it and reread it. You need to know the book of Daniel. It talks about all kinds of things that are going on right now. The prophecies, and there are so many people who try to downplay all kinds of stuff in the scriptures and say, oh, that's, that's already happened, or this, that, and the other. Well, please read your scriptures so you will understand what is going on and understand what's going to happen. And... Even if we don't have it figured out completely, like tribulation, okay? I've always been a pre-trib. We're going to get raptured out of here before the tribulation ever happens. Well, Mike Wingfield, in his newsletter there, it seems like he thinks that the tribulation is going to start, and we're going to go through some of it, and then we'll go out of here. So he might, he might be, I don't know, I don't know him that well, he might be a mid-trib rapture person. But then there's post-trib rapture people. And all the people that I know, not that I know them personally, but people that I listen to and, and learn from, I listen to people that are all three. And I can understand by Scripture why they think that it could be pre, mid, or post as far as a rapture. But, but everybody that I agree with, as far as I can get along with, uh, biblically, they all believe we're going to get raptured. If you are a true, born-again child of God. Now, that's a whole other issue. There's been too many people. You know, that's, that's one thing that the enemy will do is cause you to think that salvation is by certain things to keep you from really getting saved. So I hope that we've, we've done a good job in trying, you know, in, in informing you what true salvation is and then what comes out of that. Now, Abraham, we read out of Hebrews 11, the, the, the first verses from, uh, that start, are talking about Abraham, and then we went back to Genesis 12, and I talked about how you can go from 12 all the way to 22. Now, it climaxes in 22, literally, climax up to the top of a mountain, Abraham taking Isaac up there. For Abraham to get to the point where he has enough faith, and I say enough faith, not that his faith is any stronger, 
but the faith that he has in the Father is really strong. That's what we need to understand. You know, people will say, oh, I need more faith. No, you don't need any more faith than a grain of mustard seed. God can work with a little tiny bit, but what you need to understand is you need to have more faith in him. So can you imagine Abraham being given Isaac at the very beginning of all of this and then being told to take him up on the mountain and kill him? He probably wouldn't have passed that test. But it took a while. It took a lot of years and testing, and by the time he got to that very critical part of his Christian walk, he passed the test. Abraham, the father of faith. Now I'm just going to read, I'm, this is, I'm reading it out of a book, and I just got this. I'll give you more details later. Listen very carefully. About 1900 B.C., in a land far to the east of Israel, there, was, there lived a man named Abram. Remember, Abraham's name was Abram before it got changed. His prosperous family dwelt in a region called Ur, which would be in modern-day Iraq, close to the Iranian border. They later moved to Haran, located in what is now southern Turkey. So, I mean, I've always had a photographic memory, so when I read about these, these places, I can see them on a map. A lot of people aren't like that. They cannot imagine what I'm talking about when I say modern-day Iraq and Iran and where those things are located. You know, the Mediterranean Sea, and then Turkey's right up here. Israel's right at the very far east end of the Mediterranean, and Lebanon, and then Egypt down below. I mean, I just see it. I can see it. That's a pretty big area of where Abraham was dwelling, where he was uh, moving around to. Satan had been successful in deluding the people into making sacrifices to many false gods made of wood and stone. Even Abram's father, Terah, bowed down to the lifeless, lifeless images. Now we know that because that's in Joshua 24 too that his father did that. Now people will assume that Abraham was like that as well. Because if his father was, and he lived in that land, and everybody else was doing those things, they say Abraham was doing those things. I'm not sure. You can sh if you can show me something in the Bible that said he did that, let me know. I haven't found it yet. Now this is what this guy wrote. He said, but somehow Abram had ignored the lies of the devil and worshipped the one true God, who had no temple, no priest, no sacred writings, no name, and was not represented by any image. Perhaps his knowledge of God was provoked by the testimony of Noah's son Shem. Now this is pretty interesting. A lot of math goes into this. As far as ages, when people died, you know, the Bible is very detailed about so-and-so lived and begat so-and-so. You know, he lived to this age, 
and then he begat so-and-so, and that person lived to that age, and all this stuff. And you're thinking, why does the Bible have to say all of that stuff? Well, if you need to do some math and figure out how all this stuff plays, plays together, and who was still around when so-and-so was around. So we're going to get into some of that right here. So perhaps his knowledge of God was provoked by the testimony of Noah's son, Shem, who had been on the ark and continued to live 150 years after Abram was born. So Shem was around for 150 years after Abraham was born. Interesting. Abraham could have heard Shem give lectures on his experiences living in the ark for over a year, taking care of all the animals. In fact, Abram's son Isaac could, I mean it's a possibility, could have spoken to Shem, who lived another 25 years after he was born. When Abram lived in Haran, he could have, he could have visited Noah's ark, uh, then resting on Mount Ararat, not too far away. Living in the fertile valleys around Haran, Abram became wealthy in cattle and servants. When he was 75 years old, seemingly out of nowhere, the one true God spoke to him, saying, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now we read that last week. That's, that's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. That... That must have been a shock to this herdsman who would never expect God to speak directly to him. So it was two promises. God would make of him a great nation and bless his seed. Now, it's seed, plural, and then seed, singular. You've got to make a distinction. Well, there's two promises here. He's going to make him a great nation, which we know is Israel. But he's going to bless all the nations of the world through the one seed, Jesus, that comes from Abraham, right? This was quite the prophecy, maybe the most significant one in the whole Bible. And it is just one of many like it uh, that will follow, reiterating and expanding upon the promises. Consider the details. Number one, God will make a great nation out of the descendants of this herdsman. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever, that would be the nation of Israel. So even though it's, it says, see, see seed, we don't, we don't normally say seeds, kind of like we don't say deers. You know, we look at the deer, and it could be a whole herd of them. So when you see the word seed, you have to take it in its context of what it actually means as far as plural or not, or singular. 
So that promise was to the nation of Israel. Many, many people came from Abraham. Now remember, when he got all these promises, he had, no, he had nothing. He had, a, he had a wife that could not bear, bear children. She never could bear children. And she was way past childbearing age, but yet God took something that was an impossible situation, and that's what he wanted to work with. That's just like God, isn't it? Number two, he will not, ha he will not have to accomplish this on his own. God will bless him which is to say, prosper him and support him. Number three, this is all talking about Abraham. His name, which will be changed to Abraham, will, will be well known and respected throughout time. Listen carefully. He became the father of the three most influential religions in all history. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Islam. Why? Because in his moment of doubt, you know, we, we're all human, and God gave us brains to where we can think on our own. That was a risky thing for God to do, but he did it anyway. You know, some people will say you don't have any free will, but God made it to where you do have free will. Abraham did not do the things that his people did, and therefore he stood out. God could work with him. But he obviously learned it from somebody. That's why we're, we were talking about Shem. So Abraham, in, a, in his doubt, he tried to bring the seed of that promised son earlier than it was supposed to come, right? Which brought Ishmael into the world, which brought Islam into the world. Not only, not only Ishmael, but also Esau later down the line. And they commingled, and, and that's where all the other Arab nations originate from, is from Ishmael and Esau. Uh, next one. Thou shalt be a blessing. The Israelites have been a blessing to all nations in many ways. Here's one of the greatest ways that they've been a, an, uh, a blessing. Israel, the Israelites, they provided the greatest, most quoted, and most printed book ever written. Reverenced by the three major religions, and the blessings continue to grow as even today Israel is providing water-starved nations the technology needed to turn salt water into drinking water. Israel is leading the world in techniques to farm arid regions. They are leaders in biotech research. Much more could be said of how Israel is blessing the world. You know, I mentioned it earlier. Here's the next one. I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. So anybody who would go in and, a, and attack Israel, they don't believe God. Right? It's obvious they don't believe him. 
They don't believe this. <laughs> All right, after, after uh, <laughs> that, it says, ask Pharaoh if it is true that God curses those who curse Israel. You could ask the Philistines as well. That is, if there were any left. There are no Philistines. They were completely wiped out. But if there was any left, you could ask them. You could also ask the Canaanites. There may still be a few living in the occupied territories. And the list goes on and on. For after 4,000 years, Abraham's descendants are still living in that land God promised to them, and the dozens of nations that came against them throughout history have ceased to exist. You can go back and, and read through Genesis, and you can look at all of these different uh, zites, or the, the, you know, the, the mites and the zites and the hisites and the zizites, all those, all those crazy names. They're not around anymore. They all fought against Israel, and they've all been just wiped out. <clears throat> Here's the next point. And, it, and in thee shall all families of the earth, earth be blessed. That is the most significant prophecy. It is repeated in different ways many times throughout the Old Testament. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He's... Now, this is out of Galatians 3. This is why you've got to know your Old Testament and your New Testament. Because your New Testament sometimes defines what it meant in the Old and vice versa. So you need to know both. I'm going to read that again. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now, there are people who will say this is his descendants. No. This part of it is for the nation's through the one seed. Now here's the proof. Uh, in Galatians 3.16, He saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. There it is. Galatians 3.16. Galatians 3.16. Remember 3.16. Very significant chapter and verse in many different places in the Bible. And I've showed you before, it's, one of, it's, it's the, the chapter and verse that's the most corrupted in newer versions. You go, you, you, there's a long list of verses that are uh, whatever 316 that are changed to change the meaning in, in newer versions. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is a descendant of Abraham on his mother's side and his stepfather's side as well, has gone to every nation on earth in fulfillment of the prophecy that through his seed, Jesus, all nations will be blessed. Abram responded to God's revelation by packing his bags, rounding up his herds, and heading south to the promised land. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. That was last week's title. He obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. 
By faith he sojourned. So, I, I think when I was a lot younger and our kid, I think might have been uh, Leslie walking around. I remember saying something about, oh, she's just out there sojourning. She was just wandering around, you know, aimlessly, you know, in the yard. And I remember Michelle thinking that was funny when I said it. By faith he sojourned. So if you're sojourning, you're, you're, you don't have a permanent dwelling place because you know this is not your home, but you're looking for another place. You're, you're not attached to this place because you know your real home is somewhere else. So you're going to be a pilgrim until you finally get to where your home is. Sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, and heirs with him, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham spent his life wandering through the promised land, looking for the fulfillment of the promise to inherit the land containing a city built by God. When God spoke to Abram, the text says, and he believed in the Lord. Now that's significant. And he believed in the Lord. That's Genesis 15, 6. That is, that is faith. Believing in a person. You will understand this if there is anyone in your life that you unreservedly believe in. Obviously, believing in a person is much more than believing about them. See it? You understand? You, you might know of somebody and you believe about them. Yeah, they're here. I can see them walking around. But do you believe in them? Do you, do you have any trust in them whatsoever? It's a big difference between just knowing about somebody or really knowing them. To believe in them is an emotional commitment. When you truly believe in a person, they will have your unflinching loyalty when everyone else stands aloft. They are the horse on which you readily bet everything. Many believe there is a God, right? Many people believe that there is a God and give Asset to church doctrine, but have never believed in the Lord with all their heart. Abram's belief turned to faith as he started his journey of obedience. It always starts with belief. And, it, and belief and faith are so, they're different. People interchange them all the time because they're so close, but they are different. We believe in God, but we didn't have faith to believe in Him. God spoke to us somehow, some way, Holy Spirit, something, you know, the words out of the Bible, people that we know that uh, were just strong Christian people that, had, that taught us things about God, and we start to know about God. We, we, first, you know who He is, and then you start to believe in him. And then that's when the faith comes in. 
So Abram's belief turned to faith as he started his journey of obedience. It is most obvious from this story that Abram did not bring faith to the relationship. It was born in him by the words of God, which is the way all faith is achieved. God left it up to Abram to believe. That was his, his side of the relationship. Abram believed, so he is called the father of all them that believe. So we call him the father of faith. But in Romans 4.11, says the father of all them that believe. And I'll finish up with this. This is just a little um, thing that you would hang up on your wall, you know, if you were a woman and like to hang things on the wall. Walk into the bathrooms over here. You'll, you'll understand what I'm saying. Uh, to grow in faith is to live in a daily trajectory of trusting God more and trusting self less. To seek more faith is to seek more faithfulness through believing His promises. To exercise faith is to partner with Him in the performance of His will. To deny faith is to speak or act in a way that is contradictory to living in faith. And we'll stop there. And uh, next week we may talk about uh, his walk of faith. But I thought that went really good with what we did last week. And it said some things so well. Now this book was written... And I just got it. I don't like to admit getting a book. Joseph was like, is that new? I'm like, I'll walk the other way. <laughs> but this is written by uh, a pastor that I don't, don't normally mention his name. He's not very well known, but he's one of the best preachers ever. He's not real, I shouldn't say that. He's probably not the best preacher, but he's the best Bible teacher I've ever heard. And I've, I've known him for years and years and years. Lives in Tennessee. And he's a controversial person, so I, I, I hesitate to mention his name because if you go to search him, you're going to find all the negative stuff comes up first. But his name is Michael Pearl. And uh, they run a, an or, a ministry called No Greater Joy Ministry. And I was introduced to them through a little book that they put out many, many years ago called To Train Up a Child. And it was a response from a letter that these people got about how to bring up godly children. Well, he, he, he went to answer, and his letter got longer and longer and longer. It ended up being a little book. And they put the book out, and people just loved it. And it was basically godly ways of bringing up kids. You know, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. <clears throat> and uh, that's where, by listening to his Bible teaching on Colossians, is where I really realized what salvation really was. When I was a young adult, thought I was saved. I was one of those people who, you know, surely God would accept me. I'm a good person. I do way more good than I do bad. 
I was deceived. The devil wants to deceive you into thinking if you're just if you do way more good than you do bad, then you're you're good. And that's what that's the devil speaking to you. And and you can be almost a hundred percent righteous and go to hell. And that's so sad that the devil can trick you into that. You have to totally set aside anything you've done good and believe on Jesus alone because you have failed. And there's nothing you can do to make yourself eligible to go to heaven. Absolutely nothing. So when you lay down any of your works, lay them all down, and you look at Jesus on the cross and His shed blood, and don't just believe about Him, but believe in Him. Believe on, the Jesus, on Jesus Christ. Believe on Him. And He is the way of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Father, we just ask that You would just help us to understand Your ways. Father, that we will see the perfectness of Your Word, and that if we know Your Word, we will know You better. Father, we will have more faith in You, and we will align with You in Your will, and we will follow You. And Father, we will have more blessings in our life, Father, we will be able to bring more people to your kingdom if we do it your way. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.